Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. My name is Tom Douglas. I'm one of your, your hosts today for the next two hours. Thrilled to be here. This is the Hot Stove Society Kitchens right in downtown Seattle in the beautiful Hotel Andre. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat, your co-host. And very happy to be here every week with you, Mr. Douglas. Yes, indeed. Favorite two hours of the week. Our producer right. today, Ms. Pam Hinckley, who had her last day officially yes. as uh, Hot Stove Society director. Uh, yesterday was her official. We had a little surprise party for her last That's night. That's right. And, uh, you know, Miss Vegetarian over here ate so many lamb chops I couldn't keep count. <laughs> Yeah, but you did such a great job at grilling them. I also had some, and it was delicious. Good, Sean, our technical producer is here today, and of course, Sean, don't call me Del Torre, is in the studio. He's our editor weekly. So we've got a large show. Pam has put together a, a, a large show for us today. Tony Mignano is going to join us. Uh, Tony probably doesn't know this, but he and his grandfather, I'm guessing it was his grandfather, and I were buddies on Bainbridge Island in 1980. And we'll talk about that a little You're bit. You're old. Learn about the Napoleon brand and company that's been uh, with us for quite a long time, over 100 years. Uh, the sheet pan dinner craze has not abated. It's not and giving up. You're looking at me like you never use a sheet pan when you cook. But I, you know, Jackie does all the time, so I, ostensibly I do too. All right. So you're familiar. You can address the topic. I can. But here's the problem with sheet pan dinners. Well, you just got to clean them once. Uh, you got to really, clean the really sheet really pan burnt. afterwards because I like them on high. I like like five hundred degrees. <laughs> oh, me too. Ooh, yeah, ooh, and roasting high. those vegetables, and then yeah, the cleaning okay. the pan we'll afterwards. Give them a little trick how to clean them fast. I'm curious, chef, because I need to know. Crispy beans beyond their garbanzo. Time for our annual uh, pantry spice refresh. Uh, you know, I always think of this as a Super Bowl tradition where you go through your little cupboard and you get rid of the stuff that's been in there. Put a date when you buy stuff. You go out and buy, you know, $30 a pound roast, and then you put five-year-old spices on top. It makes me twisted. So don't do that. Elise from La Parisienne Bakery is here, and Otilia from Alliance Francaise. Team up for an event featuring Galette de Wah. I don't even know what Galette de Wah is. Yes, you do. The King's Galette. You'll, oh, you'll, the King's Galette. We right. had it last year. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry. I forgot. We'll get to it. Lastly, we're going to play uh, the Rub with Love Food for Thought Tasty Trivia Challenge. And, you know, I had been wondering if this game was rigged because it seems like, I mean, I'm just guessing that my questions are a little more You're difficult. You're still asking yourself that question? Yeah, than the rest. I think the numbers are in. You're a fool if you haven't noticed. Yeah, exactly. I'm starting to notice. Anyway, uh, we're going to play that game to, to round out our show. Let's talk about our favorite taste of the week. Chef. I'm going to say those little lamb chops last night were my taste of the week because I had two, but I could have had ten in the same run. Um, I held myself because I was in public eye, so I was like, hey, you know, I don't look like a little piglet, but I definitely could have had more than two. Mm -hmm. A big like it's that, great, you can't eat all at once. And, exactly. <laughs> but it's a great idea as a, uh, if you do a party where you want to have a little bit heavier orders, right. I think that's a great uh, substantial items to have as a delicious item. It was, And they come with their own toothpick. Exactly. You get the bones <laughs> and a little foil on the, each bone, and that's very cool. Very, it's a great idea. And, of course, Master at the Grill, Mr. Douglas, was making them perfectly delicious. And what was on top? little herb? A little herb, veggie uh, rub from yeah. our Rub with Love line, which Pam helped design. It was her going away party, so I used the veggie rub because I know, that was delicious. she likes to brag about that one. And you know what was delicious is that little yogurt dip that was right next to it that mm. put right on top of that. 
There were a couple of fun things about that party food-wise last night. One was it had a theme. Right. I think sometimes people forget that that's a fun kind of way to approach a, a little party. So we all know, uh, even though I've written four books, cookbooks, you've <laughs> written, wrote you've written cookbooks, <laughs> Pam's favorite. I didn't see any of my recipes. Yeah, time. Pam's oh. favorite cookbooks are Otolenge's uh, Jerusalem and Simple What? Plenty. Plenty, yeah. So that doesn't hurt my feelings a bit. So we went, uh, Annie <laughs> took on the job of cooking the entire meal from those books. Uh, and then I did the little lamb chop on the back. She claims to be like this ultra hippie vegetarian type person, but she cannot resist the lamb chop. Well, she cannot resist the lamb chop. She cannot resist the rib roast, uh, the chop. Yeah, the meal chop. Yeah. There's a few meat items. Yeah. Over There's the a year. crack in the armor. <laughs> yes, there is. Been so a- anyway, the, the cool thing about those lamb chops, uh, chef, was I got the lamb at Costco of all places. Nice. No, we're not surprised. And I know you're not surprised. I'm a Costco fan. And they have these French directs. You saw them. Yeah, yeah. They come French. All you have to do when you do a little individual chop like that uh, is I take the whole fat cap off because they're sure. not going to cook long enough to render that right. fat. Plus, like they would, if it was a whole rack, you could just brown the fat and put it in the oven, and it renders a bit. Right. But not in a little mini chop like that. And not standing up. You don't yeah. want a big piece of fat in the yeah. middle of a party in your mouth. That's kind of, Yeah. Not the time, not the place. So those typically are eight bone racks. There is a time. And so those, those racks are not even, they're about a pound, maybe yeah. a pound and a half. Seven chops. And you just, eight chops. Eight. Ooh. Eight chops, yeah. Bigger lamb. And uh, you simply just cut through the back. The chine bone is off, so you can cut right through them. You've got to wiggle, wiggle your boning knife through the sure. little rib bones a bit on the back. And so they end up being what? What were they? Not even a half inch thick. Yeah, I They're, mean, at most. Yeah. yeah. And no, so man, that's... They cook really fast. They're a lot easy. of rub. Super hot. Yeah. Because you, if you let them sit for too long, well, they were, they were pretty well done by the time anyone got them, but uh, it's marbled enough that you couldn't... Right. It didn't bother the lamb to be more But you more want cooked. them you want them to be like that. You want them to be a little bit more cooked. You don't want them raw. Yeah, you don't want like rare raw flesh hanging out of people's mouths while they're drinking champagne. What is this a zombie party? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Uh the other thing I would say for my taste of the week was uh, uh last night I had steamed carrots. After this dinner you had another dinner? Uh yeah, I was cooking. I don't know if you noticed last oh, yeah, night but I, I was cooking. So, That's I, true. when I went home, I had steamed carrots. <laughs> And it just made me realize how much better roasted carrots are <laughs> than steamed carrots. Yeah, but you. So, can, but my taste of the week is don't steam your carrots. <laughs> you know, roast your carrots and put something like a toasted black cumin or something like that. No, I love steamed broccoli. Uh huh. And I love roasted broccoli. Obviously, we've talked about that many times. It turns out to be that some green vegetables do better, release better vitamins. I read about this. Yes. Roasted, then they do steam. I'm like, Yeah, because you're washing out a lot of that. Huh? You're washing out all yeah, that yeah, flavor yeah. No, and it's, it's So roasting is uh, still very hot. Tony Mignano is uh, here from the local import company, Food Family, who started the Napoleon line of products. We see them in the grocery stores. I know. I Sometimes, have... you, if you don't aren't familiar, it feels like they're esoteric products, like anchovies or... But, you know, the, the big one is olive oil, so... Uh, we're going to have Tony up and learn all about the company and some of the products, some recipes. And I want to hear about Angelo. Angelo was one of my favorite people early on when I moved to Seattle in 1977. Uh, that's when we come back on the Hot Stove Society show, 97.3 FM.
Horvath gets the hot stove kitchen here in downtown Seattle. I think we're running about 22 years strong, Chef, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, 21, 22 years. Thanks for being our listeners for all of that time, whether it's live or on podcast. We're available or in person. From San Diego to Virginia. on YouTube. From San Diego to Virginia to Omaha, Nebraska, all the way into Seattle, Washington. That's how far we go. You know, one time, uh, remember when I was doing the show live, Uh uh, we would uh, often do the show together, and I did it one time from a church in Siena, Italy, live, at 1 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the morning, something Uh like that. Anyway, it was super fun. Tony Magnano is here. He's fourth generation of the family who founded the immensely impactful local food company, Napoleon. And he'll be with us for a couple of seconds. So the first part we're going to focus on your family's history and how Napoleon got started. And then we'll talk about maybe where Napoleon is today and how to use some of the products. He's buried in... uh <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> Napoleon Jones. The French guy. Yeah, He's yeah. buried in... Uh... <laughs> so I guess that's probably the first question is, uh-huh. how did an Italian food product uh-huh. company end up with uh-huh. a general from France as its leader? That's probably the number one question that yeah. we get, I get anywhere, you know, when calling on different accounts and stores and people, they want to know how is an you know, yeah. uh, Italian family. So... There's two or three probably acceptable answers, um, depending on who you talk to. There's some family members. Okay, we'll pick one out of the three. How's that? The, um, the number one would be that um, when my great-grandfather, Antonino, came over from Italy, they started in the delicatessen business and just in South Seattle, and they thought that they should have their own brand. Um, he still knew people, obviously, in the old country for olive oil and such things. His family was in the... Um, Pesto business, northern Italian, Genovese. Uh, Long story short, they came up with three different brands, um, and they decided to figure out which one was going to sell better. And they, um, at the time, the immigrants, the Italian immigrants, were a little bit frowned upon in, in, you know, everywhere. And so they weren't necessarily sure they wanted to do an Italian name. And so they picked, um, they picked three. One of them was um, uh, Vic- Victor Emmanuel, who was the first king of Rome, is Italian, and they did Caesar. They, I, I always joke they really shot for the shot for the moon on uh-huh. the names. Um, I love Caesar. Yeah, and then the other one was Napoleon, and um, the Napoleon brand ended up selling better than the other two brands, uh-huh. and that's what they stuck with. The French were very, a little more popular at the time. There was kind of the boy that sure has changed. The ally, yeah, that, that, I comes, mean, that, chef comes, that comes and goes. That stuff. <laughs> you know, the Italian were not hot, but then they became hot, and then the French went away. And R- right, right. Uh, so that's more or less how the brand became, and then the um, it kind of took off from there with yeah. our brand. Yeah. So what year is that when it started? Uh, 1903. 1903. Yeah. Right. Almost 120 years. 120 years. years yeah. 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 Four exactly. generations. So we've been. Um, we have our brand, and we were a distributor. We had grocery stores, and then it's now just kind of all funneled into just the brand. Mm-hmm. Now, I've intertwined with your family over the years. Yes, I've been yeah. here uh, yeah. since I, I got here in 77. I met, I guess, your great uncle Angelo and his wife Mary on Bainbridge Island mm-hmm. in 1980 when I was uh, 7980 when I was working as a chef at a restaurant called the Second Landing Restaurant. Yep. And your uh, great uncle, aunt, he was owned, everywhere around town. I mean, he yeah, was they a, lived down yeah. in that new condo building down there in Eagle Harbor, and yep. they owned a business called the Martinique. Yes, if I remember correctly, which yes. was a like a classic kind of American 
dinette, yes. I'll call it. And, and we used to go to the, I used to sneak in the back door because I wasn't old enough. I was 20 years old at the time. And we'd go see, um, go see bands in the bar at the Martinique uh, on Bainbridge Island. <laughs> yep. that's, that's what I used to do. So. My, my Uncle Joe, I call him Uncle Joe. He's really a second cousin. Is Angelo's, one of Angelo's sons. And he mm-hmm. is the majority owner at Napoleon still. Still. And when I told him, I guess it was two days ago when Pam called me, said, hey, I'm going on with the two chefs. And he's like, and he's like you got like, to tell Tom about Angelo. And he used to go into the restaurant all the time. And Angelo was a big yeah. talker. And then, yeah, he was. And then you had wrote, um, some, he, when he passed, you had wrote a little obituary. Mm-hmm. And uh, that always meant a lot to the, the family. Well, he was a sweetheart. And, uh, and Mary, too, was the feistiest woman I've ever met. She was, a, <laughs> she was about the size of Annie Elmore, our chef here. And she had... Uh, Bright white hair, big black rim glasses. I mean, and she just was in your face. <laughs> bulldog. I mean, bulldog. bulldog absolutely, I mean, bulldog. Yeah, she's a little thing. A legend. A yeah, <laughs> a legend for sure. Yeah. So, also, I don't know who she is in your family, but uh, Anne. Yes, had the little grocery in the Pike Place that's, Market. That's Anne's. Do- uh, Angelo's daughter as well. Right. So Joe's sister. I mean, right. there's a lot of us kind there's of creeping a lot around. Of you guys. So, yeah. Now, what do you have anything to do with your family with the Merlino Company? In the old days, competition. Good okay. old-fashioned Italian okay. competition. Okay. Uh, Just pure competition. I yeah, like yeah pure, I mean, we had, so there was, we, it was, the, the business was A. Magnano and Sons, and then right. there was, there was A. Magnano and Sons, there was Merlino, and then there was a couple other ones like, you know, the Croce. PFI, yes, John. Exactly. Yeah. So there's some good stories that went around in the old days. Um, my, one, one kind of funny story, my grandfather, who ran the business for... 50 years mm-hmm. um, used to send trucks even if they were empty driving around town and always used to go in front of Merlino's place <laughs> he's got the business yeah. um, oh, that is so awesome. and then yeah it was pretty uh, there was all ahead. kind of stories like this in the old days I mean uh, Maxime de Paris so allegedly they didn't open the first month they were on the entire press in Paris wanted to know what's this hottest new fancy restaurant and they had fake People, cardboard cutout in the restaurant every night. They were booked solid for months. They didn't have a single customer. They were booked solid and they made the waiters walk through. Right. This is a true story. And when they opened, they were packed for yeah. like the next 75 years. Yeah, exactly. Crazy Good marketing story. plan. Uh, yeah, yeah, it worked. It, it worked. Uh, and then it, at some point, the, we really went more heavy retail, mm-hmm. grocery retail. And Merlino, obviously, is a you know, premier. Food service yeah. company has been for I've been you know, buying for about forty years. years. Yeah, I've yeah. been buying for forty years plus myself. So. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's, um, so then, uh, so you started with olive oil as a company, is, yes. if I'm not mistaken. And little jars, just you, little jars. People, oh, you really, know, just tiny oh, you, ones. We have some in the. I mean, one of the coolest things about family business is the history is kind of written in mm-hmm. to the brand and things, and so we have some. I mean, you know, one and a half ounce. I've seen those. Oh, no. I've seen those before. The Napoleon. Maybe ones. In, uh, Napoleon ones. Uh, I, I, th- I think they're, um, they're not for sale. They're don't 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 consume it. <laughs> it's been around for a while. Because no, no. that could be a hundred plus. They're years more old. than a one and a half, but they're probably three, three, uh, three, eight and a half ounce little yeah. bottles, maybe like yeah, yeah very a truffle small, yeah. oil bottle, maybe or something like that. One and a half ounce. That's pretty cool. Well, that's so, this was in you know nineteen oh three night to nineteen. You know, probably more, more glass than olive oil. <laughs> so you've now you've got a, over 150 products in the marketplace. Yes. And when we come back, I want to talk about your, the importance of food trends based on as you brought in new items, because that's how stuff happens. Right. right. Jerry, so, you know, that. And also, how do you keep up? I mean, it's 2022, 120 years later or 23. 
And, uh, you know, how do you keep up with what's going on today? I mean, mm. there's a lot going on, so... I mean, as far as new food trends go, yeah, yeah okay, like moving from salted anchovies to the fresh pack anchovy, that right. is a big, that was a definite trend, right? So, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. All right, that's going to happen when we come back here on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. is my secret. is my secret. We're back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show. We're having a ball with uh, the Mignano family. Here, Tony is here telling us about the history of the Mignano. So when you're walking through a grocery store these days, and you go into any sort of specialty aisle, especially olive oil or peppers or vinegar, anchovies or whatever it is, you see the Napoleon brand. And so can you explain to people what that means when you see that brand, because I'm assuming you're, you don't have boats out catching anchovies. No. So you're a negotiant is kind of how I would Yeah, that's it. a good way to put it. Uh, you go hunting for the goodies. We're importers. I mean, that's where it starts. So we're the ones who make the relationships overseas. And there's, you know, a lot that goes into that, of course. But I'll just, for the, for the simple explanation, we're the, we, we meet the suppliers. You know, obviously we're looking for certain items, whether it's, you know, marinated artichokes, say. Um, so those can come from Spain, Peru, Italy. So we will then meet with those suppliers. We talk about minimums. We talk about how much we need to bring, where the product's going, what's it going to cost, yada, yada, yada. We book it. They and do you have a flavor profile that you ask we do. for also? Yeah, we yeah. do. I mean, in certain items, you know, capers are capers. Yeah. But, you know, all, for sure on olive oil, balsamic vinegars, anything that would have certain designations or that what people would uh, recognize with their palate. So we, right. we try to keep... You know, we, we try to keep consistent. That's a big challenge in the import business and anything, just consistent product, consistent stock. Uh, so then, yeah, then it gets, we buy it. It gets put on containers. It comes into our warehouse. We have a warehouse here in Seattle. We have one in Chicago. It shows up. We bring it in. We sell it to distributors like a Merlino. He's mm-hmm. more food service, of course. But, you know, anything, we're in about 30 states, but heavy West Coast Heavy Northwest for sure. I mean, this is our home, so in our backyard, you'll see the brand just about everywhere. So that's more or less, that's what the brand means when you, go, when you see it in the grocery store. Well, the coolest spot to find out about Napoleon brand is that it's from Seattle. I had no idea. We, a long time ago, I remember going to the store and going, oh, this must be a French import of some right, kind. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. I've never heard of that company. I'm like, wow, yeah. you know, it's like, just like everybody else, I'm sure. It's like, I never, and then one day I found out it was from here. I was like, What? Recently, we've been trying to do more of that. Uh, my, my grandfather always said that there's security in obscurity. So, I mean, which is an interesting to take. Point, yeah. Yeah, to a point. Yeah. Uh, Ask Martha Stewart. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> see, how that, see how that went. Yeah, right? Maybe a little under the radar, <laughs> Martha. Uh, so, we are doing some more local things. You know, we, we want people to know that we're local, but... Uh, we're, we're a small family business, so the, you know only certain time can be dedicated to those. We're working on a little bit more of a local presence. Um, you can find it in every grocery store, so that's the start. That's nice. Right. So you should be able to, my guess is, if you like the anchovies, you, 
would naturally think, well, if they make olive oil, I'll probably like their olive oil too, right? You you get accustomed to the it's quality a brand. You know, and the brand, really, and yes. you can trust it. Uh, what are some of your top sellers, and what are people doing with them? Top sellers, always olive oil. Um, you know, everyday stuff. There's some new trends, obviously, in oils. You guys had a show maybe a few, last couple weeks ago, about different yeah, oils, maybe. So there's, you know, the grapeseed oil, avocado oils, coconut oils. You know, we're talking not just Italian kind of theme stuff, but everyone assumes, you know, everything's from Italy or it's from uh, Spain or, you know, what have you. But so there's keeping up with those trends on, on the, new, the new oils, the higher smoke point things. Different chefs want to try different things and then... You guys write books, and that trickles down to foodies and consumers, and they go look for it at the grocery store. Um, artichokes, always balsamic vinegar. We do a lot of seafood, too. A lot of our anchovy stuff, we do um, smoked clams, smoked oysters. You know, all, yeah, <laughs> that whole tin, all that, that stuff. tin seafood aisle. Exactly. Yeah, 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 canned meats, they call it. That's uh-huh. the canned meat aisle, which is uh-huh. always funny. They still have that in grocery stores. It's like right. canned meat sounds gross. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so, so... I would say olive oil has always been the driver. Uh-huh. Olive oil is also the most competitive right. in a grocery store because it's big money. It's like a wine set. You know what I mean? Those bottles cost money and the inventory counts. And so to break into olive oil sets is challenging and expensive to do. Uh, again, we've been here, so we have this hole. But our growth is to try to go sell Napoleon olive oil in Texas, which I'm currently trying to do. You know, have been for the last 20 years is a challenge because they don't mm-hmm. know the brand. So, mm-hmm. um, but something like an artichoke, the product's good, price is right, supplier's good. It's really about the supply chain. So, what did you bring in over the years that you saw? Wow, we started the trend here. Was there? A, a, We've the, done the some one things. That, yeah. yeah, artichoke hearts to me are probably one of those because now you used to see them on when I worked at Benjamin's in Bellevue in 19 whatever 80. <laughs> One. Yeah, 1977. Yeah. I worked in Benjamin's yeah. in Bellevue. Wow, fried artichoke hearts were the yep. bomb. Yep, everybody ordered them. Yep, we served them with hollandaise sauce. Y- yeah, and still do. They're great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, th- I want that. <laughs> yeah. No, but what what else have you brought in? that's kind of like that well, has set a trend. Chef artichoke hearts is actually a good one to to talk about. A little more interesting. Artichokes were really primary from the primarily from Spain in, in the old days. They started the Spaniards grew them and then. Um, just like with many items that are produced here in the United States, there's tariffs that get put on uh, artichokes in Spain. So to import, you were paying 15 to 20% just to import them on top of the cost of goods. So is that to protect the American grower? Right, which was dumb because the American growers don't can them. Right. So any artichoke got, they do it with olives, you know, like your sliced ripe olives, same idea. Long story short, all the Spaniards took the seeds to South America and planted them in Peru. Now, I would venture to guess 99% of an artichoke that you find in a number 10 can from Merlino or in a you know, 14-ounce can from Napoleon, it's all, from Peru. Peru, all Peruvian. Mm. And it's a oh. great product. Um, the price is – Spain still has artichokes, but it's the same product, you know, 30% more. So there's little nuances that mm-hmm. can occur, you know, during the – during the process of all this, and you just need to be nimble and act. We were, we were actually the first to import artichokes from Peru. So as far as um, things we've done, we were the first to import organic olive oil, I think, outside of New York. New York so, City. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Well, earlier for organic? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, Seattle, baby. Yeah. Like this, you know, everyone yeah. wants their organic well, everything. Back in so we were, when PCC opened, I mean, you know, that's the stuff they wanted. So we, in the 70s, we were doing organic olive oil. We do a great deal of um, bulk importing as well. So many of the salad dressings you find um, in the grocery stores are, 
anything from Ken's, you know, huge, huge packers of, we import their olive oil, balsamic nice. vinegars, bring it over in our containers. So I'm sure uh, customers send you recipes. Yes. What do you find most thrilling? Have you, have you tried a recipe yourself that a, a uh, user has sent in? You know, yeah, I have. I, we, we get, I, I answer one of the fun, my, one of my favorite things about our business and what I do, and it doesn't make us any money, um, <laughs> is answer a lot of consumer questions, I mean, complaints or, you know, what have you. I answer, I'm the one who answers the info at Napoleon. Uh, email address, so Ooh, we get a lot. Now I know. Of, yeah, info yeah, at Napoleon. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna, let's yeah, send him some yeah, questions. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, and so I will get. You know, it's 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 a lot of you know um, a lot of people come in and say, "What do I you know I, what do I do with the hearts of palm?" Mm-hmm. You know, and so and Good then a lot question. of people will say they'll, they'll tell me like, "Well, I'll, I I do this with you know uh, our artichokes," and I can't think of one off the big uh, off the top of my head, but there are some. There have been some amazing, you know, people who take the time to write in and say, this is what we do with our family. And then I'll send them a case of artichokes for free, you know, just like here, you know, and they love it. That's kind of the cool local. Okay, you guys know what to do. Not you guys, though. My favorite things. And I keep a list. I keep a list. It's a long list. So I know if you do it twice, no double dipping. My favorite things that uh, I use uh, your product day in and day out are the tubes of products. And I think that people would be surprised at that. But like an anchovy paste or a tomato paste. That was uh, awesome. They stay so fresh in the tube because there's no air let in, right? And so uh, that is... I don't know if that's a new phenomenon because my mother always opened the little cans of Contadina, you know. Yep. yep. Uh, it's a it's a newer. I mean, we've been doing it for probably I don't know, 40, 40 really? 50. That, yeah. yeah. I mean, the tube the tube business is very actually I don't know how deep you guys want to get, but it's hard. Well, it's we not, only have a minute left, so yeah. not too deep. It's it's hard. You have to buy a lot in the minimums, you know, the the suppliers in Italy, you have to buy quite a bit mm-hmm. and some of it up front in order for them to pack out because it's all minimums for them but and it's funny um, because in Europe it's extremely extremely popular yes but in the states it doesn't pick up yet in terms it's of popularity coming, it, 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 that's it's how coming. that's how it works chef i mean yeah. for us it's like the they, the suppliers tell us what's coming and then we right. react right. yeah yeah well, so fun having you here. Thanks, yeah. you guys. Uh, yeah. Thank I you so actually, much. I don't know how Amy Kirtland is related to you. She's a cousin. Yeah. She's a cousin, but I worked with her on the Food Lifeline <laughs> yeah. board. Yep. Yeah, we worked uh, together. So, you, again, your family and my family has been intertwined for many decades now. Uh, well, I was thinking, and, and I won't take any more time, but on the, last night I was thinking about how we're, we're a fourth-generation company, and then... Four generations of my family have eaten at your guys' restaurants because I, I mean, when you think about it in that way, I mean, from Rovers that's to how long, all that's of That's how long we've been around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And that's how long we've Chef, been around. Chef, that means you're old. Yeah. 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 I hate to break you the news. Me, respect. I'm a spring chicken. <laughs> you're older. <laughs> all right. That's Tony Mignano. Thanks, Thank you guys. so much. Thank uh, you. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the continued popularity of sheet pan Meals on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. We're back. Everyone's getting a full plate of food. 
Tony Magnano is handing out presents. Uh, we're having a good time here at the Hot Stove Society show. If you ever want to come by, how do people do that, Pam? To buy a ticket to the yeah, show? Yeah. On the Hot Stove website. We'd They're, love to have you. Love to have you. It's 25 bucks. You get a little breakfast. How's breakfast? Edible. Yeah. And you get hot coffee. coffee. Cold water, hot coffee. Oh, boy. What a nice. Uh, Pam, you, Tom. you put this on the show sheet uh, because... I think you're fascinated the, by a f- trend that didn't go away. It didn't go away. And you thought it would. Why? Because like, you thought one-pot meals were going to go away, like beef I stew? I just thought it was too simplistic. Ah. And that people that love to cook want to move beyond that. But I was wrong because so, the food press is still full of fabulous ways to do sheet pan dinners. Sheet pan dinners. It just gets better and better. And when you've had them, have you ever done it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So what's your favorite outcome? With a sheet pan dinner. Something so crispy and crispy, salty right? and roasty. That's yeah. why I was attracted to them at first, because I don't like the crock pot stuff. Uh-huh, because it's and too stewy. And stewy, wet. stewy. I want crunchy bits. Uh-huh. And uh, you can achieve that. And I love things with squashes and feta mm-hmm. and getting onions really black. You taught me that. Mm-hmm. So you can achieve that easily on a sheet pan. Chef, you ever do sheet pan dinners? Yes, yes. And so far you've mentioned vegetables, which is good, but what happens when you start adding protein? Because, I mean, if you're going to have, for example, chicken breast, it's going to take a certain amount of time to cook the chicken breast. You're also going to dry it up if you just do too hot of a heat. So for me, one of, one of the advice is to pull things as they're ready. Don't Expect everything to cook exactly the same way. Or get chicken thighs. <laughs> <laughs> or get chicken thighs. And then they won't be ready when your broccolis are ready. <laughs> yeah, that's so, right. You need a recipe as you get used to the technique. Right. Well, you need to understand the length of cooking for each item. That's, I think, important, the most important part. But in general, vegetables, you size them up, you cut your carrots, or you, you keep them a certain thickness, and uh, your broccoli and your onions and your fennel, you know, everything that roasts really nicely... Quick toss in olive oil, preferably uh, Napoleon brand right now because we have so much of it. That's right. We want to use Napoleon. uh, You know, a little bit of seasoning, a little bit of rub with love seasoning, Mm -hmm. and then put that on the sheet pan and roast your vegetable. And for me, I love doing sheet pan on leftovers because the product Um, is already cooked, so it's an easy warm-up. That's a good, good thought. You know, if you have foods left in the fridge, it's easier to line them up on the sheet pan you know, slice your chicken breast, I'm going to use that as an example, or slice your roast, whatever, fan them really nicely. So the average rewarm time is about 5 to 10 minutes at the most for all of it, and it will come out all pretty much even. Put your sauce, if you have some gravy or sauce, warm it up on the side in the pan, pour the whole thing over, and everything is nice and warm. So let's go back to where you started, which was putting things, I think it's important that when you're roasting a big tray of vegetables that you have similar cooking time. So right. let's just say that your ingredient list includes butternut squash chunks, uh, little maybe marble-sized potatoes that are cut in half. Right. Right. Now you want to cut your carrots about that same size. Right. You want to keep your broccoli stems thicker than just the little tiny flowerettes off the head. Right. You just have to kind of plan your whole, your whole mix there. Right. And then I, you know, I have no problem with people putting their kind of like boned out chicken thighs right on the same sheet pan because then yeah. the chicken fat kind of and juices melt right into your right. roasting vegetables. Extra fat doesn't hurt anything. Yeah. 
And so are you take, when you do all those vegetables, <laughs> we put them into a bowl, you olive oil, salt and pepper, toss them. Yep. And then uh, I know Jackie <coughs> loves the sheet pan dinner, my wife. Um, she puts her sheet pan in the oven or her cast iron uh, pot in the oven and then puts the tossed vegetables into the hot pot. Oh, uh, yeah. That's, you, need, you can do that if you have a thick pan. Mm-hmm. Um, those aluminum baking sheet pan are not very easy to do that because they cool off very fast. They warm up very fast. But they also bend if they come in contact with, I mean, it's, it's aluminum. So if it Right, but they in, make them in different thicknesses. So you're saying invest in a, thick, <coughs> a thicker uh, cookie a sheet pan. A very thick cookie sheet pan. Yeah. You know, one that's got uh, no bending because of the heat. Mm-hmm. And then it's really cool because you pull that out. When you pull it out really, really hot and you put those vegetables on there, they will sear right away. So you will have a better searing on your vegetable. Pro tip right there. Pro tip. And what about you, Tom? I just, uh, oddly enough, uh, when this showed up today, I just made a sheep pan dinner at the farm. Uh, Tell us more. The other night, I did the, what I just talked about with the vegetables, everything we had in the fridge. We made into the right size. They all cook similar. Tossed it all. I put my taco seasoning on it, which is my new fish taco rub. Laid it out on the sheet pan. But I turned to 500. I, I'm a hot oh, yeah, roaster. Yeah, yeah. I like 500 because I want... <laughs> The tips of the broccolis to get all crispy, crunchy, and dark. I don't mind if they caramelize dark. Uh, so I did all that in the pan, and I got my shrimp ready to go with that. I was, I was making a salad. So I had my cucumbers and my greens in one bowl, my roasted veggies in another on the sheet pan, and then I sauteed my shrimp with the taco seasoning and garlic. This is a three-pan dinner. It's a three-pan <laughs> dinner, but... But um, I, I achieved yes, Pam, nirvana to do. with each of my different ingredients, right? The bowl was the bowl. But I was making a room-temperature roasted vegetable and shrimp dinner. Mm, that sounds right? fantastic. So that's how you kind of achieve that is by... I wouldn't call the bowl a pan. Because <laughs> when you take your sheet pan dinner to the table... Oh, do you they eat look off, at it as... Do you eat after... I'm the cleaner. Do you eat off the sheet pan or do you put it onto no, a platter? No, of course not. Yeah, you put it onto a platter... Elegant. You're you're a heathen. I, <laughs> I love that it's a warm salad, and we've got to do more segments on that because uh, people do you know don't think of salad as food or dinner. So I've had to start tricking my husband uh, into eating salads by making sure there is a warm component to it, mm. and then it's like, oh, that's dinner. That's dinner. Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah. Because I love a good niçoise salad, oh, yeah. Yeah. a shrimp salad with a Thousand Island dressing. Yeah, but it's nice or, when it's warm, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Steak salad. I, like I love a good to steak your, salad. Your yeah. house for steak salad. Where do we all learn steak salads, though? I don't remember. Thai, thai restaurants, Thai beef salad. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, that was and really... It's the, also a, a good time to use your beet green and your, your radicchio and your, your bitter green to just finish at the yeah. end and toss in the pan... You know, you put up your vegetable, you put them in a bowl, and the pan is still hot, and you just finish your greens right on top of that. Slice, slice them, and then toss them on top of that. So they will wilt, and you just put that into your salad. Mm. Thank you for um, bringing up the uh, leftovers in the refrigerator, though, because today's trivia, I'm obsessed with food waste this month. God, it is such a problem. It's a problem. So using the sheet pan technique to use up what's in the refrigerator, doll it up, 
Yeah, exactly. It's and then really don't forget, you once you get done roasting all that, it needs a dressing. But it doesn't yeah. need to be anything. Because you're putting olive oil on when you're roasting all the vegetables, it becomes a little bit heavy to begin with. Right. All you really need at the end is squeeze a lemon. I see. Or um, I love, you know, muscatel uh, vinegar. Yes. Mm-hmm. Vinegar and... Uh, and salt and squeeze a lemon, and, and you're done, right? So you don't want to make it any heavier. Yeah. It's not the time for ranch. <laughs> don't make it any heavier than what it already is. A good, a good ranch on top of it. All right, got another full hour of goodness to come our way, right? Yep. Hour number two of the Hot Stove Society Show. It's going to begin with crispy beans on Cairo. It's the Hot Stove Society, 97.3 FM. Potato chips. How my mouth does drip potato chips Hold drip, drip, drip Crunch, crunch I don't want no lunch All I want is potato chips All right, we're back at the Hot Stove Society Show Chef Rotaro, the chef in the chapeau. Is oui, Monsieur Douglas. I am Tom Douglas, and we have one more hour to go. Uh, hopefully, uh, we trust. I shouldn't say that because people all over the world are listening to us. But uh, hopefully you're in a garden somewhere or on a golf course, listening in your podcast while you're putting. Oh, you're that's just in I the do. kitchen. I, I don't know if you know that or not, but that's what I do. Yeah. Or maybe you're in your kitchen. Yeah. That's true. Uh, we have another hour. We're going to talk about crispy legumes uh, outside of the garbanzo bean, why you need to refresh your spices and herbs uh, annually to kind of keep track of what's going on there. We have a couple of, of French pastry of folks coming in here to talk about the uh, Alliance Francaise. Alliance Francaise. Thank you for that. Commemoration <laughs> for the Galette des Rois. That's okay. That's all right. You're getting good. It's you're, you're getting better. I'm, I'm just saying your pronunciation is getting much better. <laughs> no, I should, I should try in French. Yeah, yeah. L'Alliance Française. There you go. And, of course, we're going to wrap up the show today with our Food for Thought Tasty Trivia Challenge. All right, uh, Chef, there's a question on the table. Maybe, Pam, you could get us started on this question. It came to you or, or you found it. Uh, tell us about the crispy bean question. You know, garbanzos have ruled the roost for being a legume that people crisp up uh, with some fat. but And are not embarrassed about taking out of a can. Exactly. Or, yeah, they just seem like green beans you would get frowned upon out of a can. Garbanzos people are cool with. They're cool with it. Yeah. Um, although now Washington is such an excellent garbanzo producer and you can get varietally designated year of harvest and so... In Washington, buy freshly dried, and you can you can get <laughs> them fresh, yeah, for a short period of time. Right, but um, I ran across a great article that someone had ended up crisping up their white beans by accident, and I thought, oh, this this works for other beans as well. And then I started remembering that recipe you did with black beans at Cantina Lena that people pinto beans, yeah. with pinto beans yeah. that everybody is still asking for because it was revelatory to have a bean with a crispy crunch like that. Mm-hmm. So I know about garbanzos. I'm going to try the white bean this weekend, but could you tell us how that pinto bean came about? Sure, and the crispy crunch is not an al dente crunch, right? Right, so, right. that's exactly what I was going to say. There's a big difference there. It's a bean that's cooked all the way and then becomes dried out on the outside. Yeah. Not just dried from raw. Right, not undercooked. Correct. Yeah. 
Matter of fact, if anything, they're overcooked. If, yeah, they're twice cooked. They're twice cooked, yeah. Is that, is that what the secret is? So for me, yeah. So we have fully cooked pinto beans. Uh, so if you were to uh, bite into it, it would just mush in your mouth, right? And then we almost confit them in garlic oil. Mm. Uh, so we would cook them longer in garlic until they got crispy on the outside. And then we would finish them with toasted garlic. And so they were the, dry, the kind of creamy but crunchy yeah. garlicky beans. And uh, we started with them as a, I just made them out of a trial, right? That's how you, a lot of chefs get to where they're going. Yeah, sure. Just say, hey, this sounds good to me. And then uh, it became very popular. It became our number one selling bean over the refried beans or the black beans. People uh, are so. still asking for that recipe. But it's, it's t- hard. It sounds hard, and that the article I read about the white bean was by accident because they put it under a chicken when they were roasting it. And the point that they made was that the, there weren't enough beans to fill the pan, right. so the grease from the chicken was um, distributed in a way to not really bathe them. Mm-hmm. With, which is so They were still exposed to the oven heat. So these were a canned white bean that were yeah. drained and then put on... The sheet pan, like you would a roasted vegetable. Yeah. And then they cooked with the chicken fat, and they became crispy on the side that was exposed to the hot air of the oven. Yes. And so they, they were surprised at that little crunch that they achieved. But that's it. You've got, you, it sounds like with the pinto beans, you use more fat. I think that's the point I'm trying to make. I think they're, they're not quite deep fried. Like I have a recipe in one of my books for deep what? fried garbanzo <laughs> beans, right? That oh, I are need fried to check until it out. they get crunchy, and then I toss them with rosemary I think uh, there's everything leaves. in that cookbook. <laughs> Incredible. You should I mean, try it once in a while. It's, it's a, good, it's a decent try book. one of your recipes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so, but that's one way to cook those beans, deep fry them. The ones at the, at the Cantina Lenya were sort of that, but they were done in a cast iron pan, and there wasn't that much fat in there. Right, and I think it's the secret to get those beans dried is to not put too much fat. It's not confit. Confit is covered with fat. Yeah. So you cook in slowly in oil or in fat. And um, in this case, it's just a little bit on the base. It's a chicken. Chicken is rendering the fat. So you get that grease on the bottom. And those beans are just one-third sub, you know, into it. And then the rest dries out. And that's how they get that crispy skin. So, so chef, like on cassoulet, yeah. you know, the top layer of the beans with the breadcrumbs on top or whatever, they could get that same kind of texture, they right? They could get that texture if you were not putting the breadcrumb because... The breadcrumb is actually a cover to make the breadcrumb crisp instead of the but beans. But not the beans, yeah. So, you know, you could get the same results if you were taking the beans. But in cassoulet, there's a lot of jus and lots of sauce around it. So that kind of stops that crispiness. You would have to take the beans separately and then do that separately, crisp them separately. Your duck fat on the sheet pan or on a cast iron pan and then put your beans on the floor of the pan and then let them crisp up in the oven. That's how you would dry them out. That sounds pretty good. I don't even care for beans that much, and that sounds really good to me right now. <laughs> Although I've got, beans you know, Jackie grows a lot time. of beans, dry beans. I know. I would think you And I'm starting more. to like them. You know, one, of the, mature. one of the fondest memory was the Stack House, um, which is a rib house outside of Kansas City I went to once. I was doing a, doing a dinner at the American restaurant in Kansas City, and we went outside of Kansas City and went to this place. There's like a... I don't know, 1,000 people like a day in that, in that restaurant. And uh, we were lucky to be able to go into the back, see how they were doing those ribs. And it was a, a roller that was probably the width of this kitchen here. Whoa. A giant roller, like I don't know how many racks of ribs. It was really a lot. So the 
beautiful thing about that thing was underneath, on the, on the ground or underneath, there was a stainless steel square pan, like probably six feet by six feet or whatever that measurement was, halfway full of beans, and all the fat from the ribs would fall oh. down into those beans. <laughs> My vegetarian beans. heart is pounding. Well, again, by the way, this is a treat. That's why we call it a treat. If you eat this only once a year, yeah. you will live a long life <laughs> with a big smile. If you eat that every day, well, we already know you're dead. All right. That's a hell of a way to die, though. So that's all I, I got to say. When we come back, let's refresh our spices and herbs in our very own spice cabinet on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show. <laughs> Hopefully you're watching us on YouTube right now, taping Thursday mornings here at the Hot Stove Society Kitchens. Pam is uh, going to figure out a way that we can get some live questions asked on a, our Google telephone. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to do that because uh, hey, we want to hear from... Maurice from France. Yeah, we want to hear from you about your travels, about your cooking, about your gardening. We want to hear... All right, it's time to do your spices. Uh, I said earlier in the opening of the show that this is a typical time for me. And I think of it... Uh, I try to associate it with an event. So to me, I associate it with the Super Bowl, that it's time to kind of look at my spices and uh, uh, be brutal. Right. And you have... And you a, know what I mean by be brutal, yeah, chef? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As what? in, don't be, don't be bashful. Yeah, I know you spent good money on them, but now they belong in your compost bin. But isn't the Super Bowl the perfect day, the perfect day to use all those herbs and roast them all and... No, not if they're not good. Not, not, not if they're not good. So... So the key to me is you have to date your spice jar, uh-huh. and then the second thing is you have to go and be tactile with it. So like if you have coriander seed, right? right. You know, you, a lot of people don't use coriander seed very much. Right. Just go in, put it in your fingers and smash it, right. and see if you get a beautiful coriander fragrance. If you don't, they're dead. Yeah. Bury them sure. <laughs> with the ritual of Super Bowl. Let me say, I think that's where we, sh- I think that's where we should start. Herbs don't last forever. No spice lasts forever. You know that I mean, box? it might last forever. Yeah. <laughs> they, if you buy them, they do last forever. Yeah. But if you don't, no, I'm just kidding. No, but spice don't, don't last forever. They do have a potency that diminishes as time goes by, especially with the surrounding in your cupboard of heat and, you know, all kinds of different things. Plus, you open them, you close them, you open them, you close them. So there's many components of life of a spice that comes against them staying fresh. Most herbs, most dry herbs, should not be in your cupboard for more than, I would say, six months to a year. And then after that, you should definitely move on and, you know, use, use them all in one bag and then go away and then buy some new one. And Tom used to say, one of the great techniques to be knowing how much to buy. You know, if you go to Spice World, they will sell you a quarter of an ounce. You know, you're just going to buy the urban. But the idea is you take your jar... And you mark it where the amount of leftover of your spices is. Because that's how low, how much you have left already after one year. Throw that away and then replace it by that amount. 
And oh, every year, I haven't heard this technique. Every, I like Tom it. Tom used to say that. He mm. used to say, you, mark, you take a Sharpie and you mark your jaw. And I think it's a very clever idea because it teaches you that you don't need a full bottle. Just buy a few, an, half an ounce. You've only used a half an ounce in a year. Next year, unless something drastic happens, you know, the best thing that can happen is you use it all by halfway through the year and you have to buy more. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a great technique. I think it's a very awesome technique. I'm going to push back on one thing you, because I think people will take us literally sometimes. When you say a half an ounce, you buy a half an ounce of chives. Oh, that's a lot. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a half a quart container. Yeah. yeah. So the, the, the thing is you want to go to a shop like World Spice down here at the Pike uh-huh. Place Market area and buy by the gram. Right. Or buy by the, the – bring your bottles and have them fill to a certain level exactly. in your bottle and they'll sell it to you by the – you know, whatever their minimum is. And that's how that works uh, because spices are very light. Uh, a lot of seed spices are best to buy in seed form. Right. They all have natural oils in them. So when you grind them with your mortar and pestle or in a spice grinder, you'll smell that oil. And uh, right. you just got to make sure they're not rancid at some point, which typically they're not. Not seeds. Nuts maybe, but no, not No, it's seeds. just they don't have any flavor. That's yeah. So it is a good advice to go home, look at your cupboard and go... He's, he's right. I got it over. You know, you have some probably some some spice like Old Bay that's been in the corner of your cupboard for the last ten years. Guarantee you that stuff is not Old Bay anymore. It's old, old, old Bay. There's <laughs> <laughs> like five more old behind it. Mm-hmm. So get rid of it. It's not expensive enough for you not to buy a new one, and you're not wasting food. You're actually making your food better. Just buy it fresher. Well, that's the thing that, I said, as I said earlier, the thing that makes me crazy is people will go out and buy a, a prime rib for Christmas time yeah. and put a 10-year-old rosemary on top from their, <laughs> from their jars. You know, it's just, I might as well go outside, grab some wood, and put that on top. Yeah. Same thing. Same idea. So. I'm wondering if there's a, a new spice in your rotation that's a must-have. Is there, uh, have well, your there's taste, a few. I know about thyme and tarragon. No, no, I wasn't going to say no, that. But I, uh, I'm thinking more spice blends for me, like yeah. Zatar. Oh, I've, I've been really kind of into Zatar. We got a jar from, what's the company? Villa Gerada. Yeah, we got a, a jar of their uh, Villa Gerada yeah. Zatar, and I just love it. It's, yeah, it's, it's so green. It, it tastes different than I expected. Plus, it's not a common spice. Like, mm. it's not the spice you used to, so it's a different profile. It's a blend. Yeah, it's a yeah. blend, but it's a different blend profile. So it's really interesting to put on roast and, I mean, I've put it with, I've used za'atar on just about anything. Yeah, you can do it on like roasted potatoes, but it's also good as just with olive oil as a dip yeah, on yeah. pita bread or something sure. like that. So, and what about ras al hanout? Well, ras al hanout so, is my favorite because I love everything Moroccan. In case nobody knows that yet, um, but ras al hanout is a spice, a home spice blend, and it usually it's literally from the home, right? It's from like the home. The every house home blend. has a different yes, style. Exactly. Slightly different in every home. Uh, but the main components are turmeric and coriander, cumin, turmeric, ginger. And then from then on, you have a little bit more, each house, just cinnamon, a little bit of, depends, uh, uh, nutmeg. It depends on the different spices that people add. But I put mint and thyme and all kinds of different things. When I used to do the spice rub from the chef in the hat, mm-hmm. um, I used to do you know, a few different spices added to that to make my own rub. But, yeah, it's a very... To me, cumin, turmeric, ginger, hot chili, and black peppercorn whole. Probably five of it. If I had to only have five, I would probably stick to those coriander. I love coriander, fresh coriander. 
Six. Dry, dry cleaner. Six. <laughs> you know, I have probably, without lying, 25 in my cupboard. Yeah. There's other beautiful spice blends out there. When you see masalas out there, again, it's a house... It's a house mix of spices yeah. in, in every different, different in every household. Togarashi is one that I use uh, mm-hmm. probably as much as anything. So togarashi yeah. is a Japanese mix of, uh, uh, in nature, but typically you'll find it in a, in a restaurant on the table. Like we look at salt and pepper, they look at togarashi, and it's typically sesame and seaweed and chili and salt and sometimes a little uh, zest of orange right. or... Something of that nature. Furikake is the same thing, where you can, if you look at the grocery store, you'll see dried bonito flakes in it. You'll see uh, maybe dried egg in it. Right. All different flavors of furikake. Great on steam rice. Just a big hot bowl of steam rice with tons of furikake on top. Oh my and god! That furikake is more of a seaweed-based spice blend. Right. Yeah. Go so to fun. World Spice. Go yeah. to World Spice. They are experts. They're helpful. The yeah, product is impeccable. It's really... And what about Tenzing Momo? Is that a place that uh, you can get culinary spices too or just... Not as many. Not as many. But it, it's worth the trip. I know. If you're going to go down to World Spice, you better go to Tenzing. It, I think it's the one of the original apothecaries in the United States, I longest would, running. I'm sure you're right. Yeah. All right, so we're going to... Terry, take us into the next segment, if you would, because I don't want to mess up their next, names. Next, we're going <laughs> to uh, talk about a French tradition called La Galette des Rois. Yes, we are. So fun. (laughs) Right here in the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo, 97.3 FM. Stove Kitchen here on Cairo. It's Tom Douglas. Terry Rotero, the chef in the hat. What do we have in front of us, chef? What we have in front of us is a French tradition January cake, or yeah, I would call it a cake, and it's yeah. called La Galette des Rois. Uh, made, this one is made particularly today by La Parisienne, a bakery which is right up the street on 4th and Bell, and the, uh, the chef owner, daughter, Elise well done, is, okay. is with us today. And uh, Elise, why don't you tell us, well, we're going to start with you. Tell us what Sounds the great. tradition, where does it come from and what's in it? Well, La Galette des Rois is a French cake. So it is really important for us to like, be able to like, maintain the French culture. So January is definitely like a really important month for us. And so La Galette des Rois, uh, we're celebrating the Epiphany. So after the holidays, Christmas and New Year's, we still have like more celebrations. Um, so with La Galette des Rois, so this is a, a traditional cake. So it's made with puff pastry with almond paste, um, and the celebrations is for the Epiphany, so the manifestation of Christ. But um, this is yeah, um, really a, a really popular cake in January in the French culture, um, and there's more like uh, into it so basically when we uh, cut the the galettes like the 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 kid the youngest of the table goes under the the table and say all of the names of the people who are joining the party and the and the person who has the small like fave so in french the small figurines 
he's the king or either the queen of the day. So, and then after that, you have to put the crown on top of your head and then you can celebrate with your friends or family and then you're either the king or the queen for the day. Just for the day? Just for the day. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is so tough. It seems like it would like have a year, a year celebration on no, being no, no. the king of the year. You got to find an excuse for every month. This oh. is the month of January. <laughs> okay. That's your excuse for the day. Right. And as, as, as I mentioned, there is uh, almond paste inside, but like for people who don't really like it, there is also like this, uh, different variations. So you can either put like chocolate paste or you can put apple compotes. Uh, so right now on our menu at La Parisienne we have like four different kinds. So we have the traditional one of course. We have the chocolate one, the apple one and also the brioche for people who don't really like the pastries. And all of them are really good to celebrate the Epiphany on January 6th. It's very nice you offered different types. Yeah. I think it's, it's very uh, much 2023 to take those traditional cake and still celebrate but Definitely. You know, some people is, can't eat nuts. Yeah, some people, exactly. yeah. There's a lot of restriction in our diets today. So, yeah. And then Otilia, director of the Alliance Française, what's the connection with the galette? Thank you, Terry and uh, Doug, for inviting us. Um, the, we, um, our Alliance uh, celebrates La Galette des Rois uh, since uh, many years, and we have partnered with La Parisienne uh, this year and the previous years before the pandemic. This is we are coming back to in-person events, and we're very happy to start the year with this uh, collaboration with La Parisienne and also the Union of French Expats, <laughs> l'Union um, des Français à l'étranger. Uh, so we, we're very happy to come together and start the year in person with our members and followers and um, francophiles in Seattle, really. Uh, members we, and non-members? And non-members as well, yes. Um, cool. Yeah. And uh, where is the party at? The party is at the La Parisienne, yes, yeah, yeah, so gonna they're be, organizing this. And it's going to be at La Parisienne, um, and then, yeah, it's going to be for, like, non-members and also members, so, like, there's still tickets available. I just checked before coming, yes. so, like, people can still, like, book their tickets. Yeah. And uh, it's going to be on Saturday, January 14th, 14th from yes. 3 to 5, right? Yes, right, yeah. And the tickets are almost sold out also. So if you're interested, you have to hurry up and, uh, yeah, buy one. And uh, so l'Alliance Française, this is one of the activities that you... Right. You do at the Alliance Française? Yes, we have many cultural events. Uh, we are part of a big network. We are 800 in the whole world, and there's 105 in the U.S. only. Our Alliance is a medium-sized. We have about 400 students and almost 700 members. Um, and we also uh, organize events with many partners in, in local partners, Seattle International Film Festival. So we do film events, cultural events, author events, book launches with the Elliott Bay Bookstore. Uh, we're very busy throughout the year. Drinking and events. You drinking events, yeah. That's especially in, in this spring, we have a wine tasting with Chateau Pomar. So uh, check, uh, check it out on our website, which is www www.afseattle.org uh, We also have um, a tasting brand, uh, French brandy tasting also coming up this spring about, I would say, four times a monthly uh, happy hours in French, so if you know a little bit of French and you want to you know, have a conversation in French, uh, come to our location, we are at, situated at, uh, in Wallingford at Good Shepherd uh, Center, which is a beautiful building, if you don't know it there's plenty of parking, it's 
located in a, in a wonderful park and community gardens with a playground. So we do encourage you so to you know, come see us, call us, come visit us, take a class, a workshop even. You, know, you don't have to take a whole class. You, just can, you can come once a month for a workshop or a community event. Uh, you know, with, uh, we also have a film club. So if you like French films, uh, you are welcome to join Who us. doesn't? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Is there anybody in the audience who became a king or a queen today? Oh, nice. Oh, we have oh, a king right there. You're the king. Okay, so you need to right wear there. the crown. Here's the crown. Here. No, 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 the crown. We have more crowns. We have, we more, have crowns. more crowns. Okay. Yeah. We need to give them the crowns to yeah. wear. Absolutely. Absolutely. Crown for a day. At least will you have these uh, uh, galettes available all month? or just, Yeah, of just course, for yeah. Them? No, not only for January 6th. We're going to have the galette des rois until January 31st. Yeah. Okay. And all of the other can be made online or at the store. There is plenty of galette des rois for everyone. And you deliver. Of course, yeah, we can deliver. That's hot. Many different ways to get the galette des rois. No excuses. <laughs> many ways to get fat. I love it. Yes. Well, your bakery is so lovely. It has certainly yeah. much more than just the galette. Thank you so uh, much. From croissants to baguettes, you name it. So. Yeah, definitely. We have different... Uh, we offer different variations of bread, viennoiserie, pâtisserie, um, and homemade chocolates, galette des rois, wine, and also, like, it's really important to mention that galette des rois goes really with, with cider, yeah. right? Oh, yes. really? Let's not yes. forget that, because during the event, we're going to have galette des rois and also, like, the like cider tasting. Normandy yeah. cider type Yes, of yeah. course. Well, you know, this is, isn't that originally from Normandy? Yes, it is, yeah. I think so, yeah. Yeah, so cider, galette des rois... What a, great, yeah. what a great way to celebrate in January. <laughs> exactly, Especially right? in Seattle. Yes. Well, it's, it's such an unex, uh, unexpected location. You're driving through yeah, yeah. downtown Seattle and on 4th Avenue amongst the, some of the towers on the north end of downtown. All of a sudden you see the little base, the French pastry kitchen there uh, at La Parisienne. And it's just such a nice treat to kind of stop right. and walk in. And they have, uh, you know, there's uh, the bike lane kind of cuts in front of you now, but... You can still pull right in there and park. It's pretty simple. Oh, yeah. And we have a parking behind the bakery as well where there's different, like, a few spots. So no excuses not to come to La Parisienne. <laughs> what can we look forward to in February from La Parisienne? Valentine's Day, I think I, so. I know. Right? That's what I'm saying, yeah. <laughs> Homemade chocolates, love, everything. So, yeah, please come to La Parisienne I in like February. I love everything. That's good. Yeah, That's yeah. Just... Pastries, yeah. We're going to have, like, some... Creations coming up in February for Valentine's Day, so definitely come. And uh, my dad, who's the chef, so Patrick Morin, will make some homemade chocolate with the two French chefs that we currently have at the bakery. So, yeah. You know, I was going to try and um, offer you, I, we knew you were coming today, and I was going to offer you, I brought four cases of Rotorua champagne here last night, and I was going to try and offer you some today, but... They drink everything. Uh, Pamela and Thierry and Kathy <laughs> literally drunk us dry last night. Four <laughs> cases of Rotorua champagne. You can't put champagne out and not expect people to drink. Oh, you oh. drunk all right. <laughs> <laughs> champagne. Can't keep no, me away. Super fun. Oh. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. What a lovely treat. Thank you for having me today. Uh, everyone out there, you just had the cake. What do you think? Yeah. Awesome. Glad to hear. <laughs> Really tasty, and I think that the uh, the beautiful thing for me is it's so difficult to get puff pastry perfect. Yeah, because people want to like uh, mush the edges so that it doesn't rise, or they don't 
handle it properly or they buy just the store-bought frozen. This is a, a beautiful rendition. I think it's a great tradition to have items like this too. Every year you go, oh, me call La Parisienne and have my galette ready and I just come mm-hmm. in and pick it up and get a baguette at the same time and maybe a little éclair because I'm a I'm a fiend on the éclair au café. They do chocolate, but I mm. like café. Oh, a little tart. You I know, think it's something. a little bit like a seasonal vegetable, right? Yeah. It's like you think about asparagus <laughs> in April. Yeah. You think about galette I in mean, January. January. You think about not drinking and diet. Hey, you know, galette des rois, that, that counterbalance, all that stuff. Yeah, that you craziness. Know. Yeah. That non-drinking Broccoli. and diet. <laughs> galette des rois. Uh-huh. All right. When we come back, it's time for Food for Thought Tasty Trivia brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs and Sauces. Thank you for staying with us on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Why do we never get an answer when we're knocking at the door? With a thousand million questions. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. We have reeled uh, Tony Mignano back to the microphone to uh, be our latest victim. I'm glad you uh, didn't leave. In our Rub with Love Food for Thought Tasty Trivia Challenge. Rub with Love are spice blends uh, that have an important place in your pantry. In my opinion, they should. Anyway. They should. They can either inspire a meal or enhance one. The family now includes 20 rubs, which we make right there in Ballard, four sauces, and a terrific mustard, our roasted shallot mustard. Rub with Love is available uh, around the area at grocery stores like QFC, Town & Country Markets, the Thriftways, uh, the Pacific Northwest Shop, and Made in Washington stores. If you're heading to Las Vegas... Be sure to visit Rub with Love's best customer outside of Seattle, the Butcher Shop on Rainbow Boulevard. Who knew, huh? Rainbow Boulevard. I Rainbow love that Boulevard. Name. Uh, oh, yeah. Today, our prize is a three-pack of rubs uh, by the, the winner's choice. They can go over to our gift shop and pick out the three rubs that they want and put it in a little box and give it to themselves or give it to a friend. Tony's going to pick the um, person that gets a gift, too. Oh, oh, really? Wow. Yeah, he's got a big job got today. He's thinking, right, of, he's thinking of putting Napoleon brand on that. <laughs> <laughs> what do we, uh, how do we play the game, Pam, and, um, and how do I win? My th- the three <laughs> contestant victims are each going to get five questions. And as you heard earlier, um, everybody's going to get something about food waste in America as part of their questions. Uh, and somebody's going to get the most right, and some going to be a loser. All right, I'll start. Chef in the hat. True or false? Until the wire whisk was popularized in the 19th century uh, for the vigorous mixing required to make meringue, um, they off, the tool that was often used was birch branches and bundles of straw. Would that be true or false? That would be true. That is absolutely true. Multiple choice, number two. What is the U.S. Department of agriculture estimate of worth of food dumped into landfills each year is it 1 billion 30 billion or 161 billion dollars the worth of food that's dumped into landfills 161 correct the most it's horrifying it is horrifying we could uh, probably save the whole world with just that amount of we money we could feed the world 
Uh, number three, every year California farmers produce more than uh, three billion pounds of almonds. What percent is that of the world's supply? Is that 25%, 50%, or 80%? 80%. You are on a roll, chef. It's cheating. And that's Whoa, very, it's cheating. It's very, unfortunate. it's very unfortunate because that requires a lot of water. I know. And California doesn't have any, have any water. They do today. <laughs> yeah, they did, they did in the last week more than they want, sadly. True or false, the filmmaker Werner Herzog ate maggots to coach the actor Christian Bale, uh, who had to eat them for a scene in the movie Rescue Dawn. True. Correct. Who would make that question? <laughs> Christian, Bale, Christian Bale would do something like that. <laughs> and finally, five, true or false, Scientists think bananas were domesticated more than 7,000 years ago on the island of New Guinea. That is absolutely true. Winner! Five for five for chicken five. dinner. Whoa! Way to go, chef. We're going to show Tony Mignano who's boss. Uh, <coughs> He's got his phone out. You Mr. Might have, Mob. You might have to that put, was three true or false. Three put, true or false. Hey, you might have to put the chef in the hat under that Napoleon. <laughs> oh. Put a little hat on Napoleon. Tony, this one's complicated. You know, Napoleon's dead. <laughs> chef is available. Yeah. I'm, actually the, I'm actually almost, I'm a bit taller than him. But, you know, just I as, do have the accent. Just as nasty. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> This one's complicated, and I, I wrote it late last night, so it might not make sense. <laughs> After the champagne? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The kitchen, historically the symbolic heart of domesticity in the Arab world, has often kept women tethered to household responsibility and out of the workforce. Only about 25% of women in the Middle East participate in the labor force, the lowest such figure in the world, even as female university graduates in the region often outnumber their counterparts. How has social media helped change the power dynamic? What the hell is that? That's two bottles of champagne in right there. I mean, you know know what I love is like, wait, wait, what was the beginning? Can you start? How has social media helped empower Arab women. <laughs> There's no, no tr- this is just, just me? Just freestyling here? Yeah, yeah. freestyling. <laughs> there's, there's only one answer. I mean, I would assume that it's drawn attention to their plight and, and the mm, challenges. They're and cooking it, and followers on YouTube. And so getting f- likes... Yeah, and, 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 and drawing attention to and subscribers, and therefore they can. This make is a few how I lose months. every week. <laughs> yeah, correct. W- looks like I won't be back again. <laughs> nice job, Tony. <laughs> you got it. You, you got nailed it. it. You nailed it. You nailed it. True or <laughs> true or false? Uh, in the United States, food waste is responsible for twice as many greenhouse gases as commercial aviation. True. Exactly. Uh, true or false? When food rots in landfills, it generates methane, a greenhouse gas far more potent than carbon dioxide. True. Yep. He's catching up with Chef in the Hat. Which species spends more time each day chewing, humans or chimpanzees? (laughs) Knowing the humans and humans. Did you say pandas? I said pandas. He, he said pandas. I like pandas. I'm going to change humans my answer to pandas. Ch- Human be- humans? Uh, humans spend about 35 minutes a day chewing. Chimpanzees chew about four hours a day. Oh. oh. Um, approximately. What about chewing the fat? That counts. 
Uh, and finally, approximately how many pounds of milk do you need to make a pound of cheese? Is it a fresh know, cheese or dry-aged cheese? Oh, Big difference. I don't know, four to one? Yeah. Close. Ten pounds of milk to get a pound of cheese. <laughs> Ten to one. Um, because you're removing nearly all the liquid from the liquid to get down to the substances. How do you do, Terry? He did okay. He did well. He did three out of five. Tom Douglas, what state recently passed a law mandating that some businesses donate edible food they otherwise would have tossed out? Has to be California. You bet it is. True or false, in Asia, Europe, and the United States, several new mobile apps offer discounts on restaurant food that is about to be thrown out. True. Boy, as long as there's a good (laughs) Samaritan law... Because, you know, you can get in trouble if somebody gets sick, right? So yeah. You have to have good Samaritan law, so yes, with a good Samaritan law. It, it is true. These apps now exist. A new movie, Corsage, about the 19th century Empress Elizabeth of Austria, talks about her shoulder tattoo, her wine with breakfast, and the leather masks that she wore as part of her skincare routine. What did she stuff her face masks with? <laughs> Banana puree. Raw veal. Raw veal. Oh. How many pounds of yerba mate, a strong and often bitter drink brewed from the leaves of the native plant to South America, did Argentina's national soccer team bring to Qatar for the World Cup? Would you like multiple I choice? I can't even drink one can of that stuff. It just <laughs> makes me twisted. 250 pounds. 1,100 pounds wow. of yerba mate. Mm-hmm. They were on, on edge. Yeah, no kidding. No wonder what they want. And finally, Amer- is this true or false? Americans discard more food than any other country. Of course it's nor- true. Nearly 40 million tons or 30 to 40% of the entire U.S. food supply. Yeah, of course it's true. It's true. We are a very rich country. We can do those things. We sh- Not saying it's right, but you know what I'm saying. It's like that's just what that's, that happens. Who's the winner, Chef in the Hat? Uh, actually... Tom is actually... No, no, no. I got one wrong. You got five. I got five. So he's got three. So I'm the loser. He's the loser. What a shocker. Tony, you can go back to the office. <laughs> All right. Congratulations, Tony. If you want to be part of the show but can't come to the studio, you can join the, the taping on YouTube Live. Find us at Tom Douglas and Company. You're listening to us uh, on Cairo Radio. The show is produced by Pamela Hinckley. Technical director Sean McFadden and our editor uh, back at the studio is Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre. Remember, if you missed any episode of our Hot Stove Society show on Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. Happy Galette des Rois and have a wonderful weekend. I use the herbs to want every season. 